Well, it's really, really good to be together. Um, and uh, as we look at each other, we realise that God has a um, restoration programme. Now, please don't worry, I'm not talking about a building on this occasion. It's more personal and more cosmic. God wishes to restore humanity so that we become the people who he has made us to be and through us to restore creation so that creation is as it was supposed to be. You see, God is in the business of making a new people. That's what Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 24 and 28 are all about. God, first of all, gathers us. God speaks and says through Ezekiel to his people, I'm looking at the first of the readings that we have on our notice sheet. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now he's speaking to Israel, to the people of the Old Testament. They've been scattered They've been exiled to the north and the east, to Babylon, and to the south and the west, to Egypt. Uh, and God says, I'm going to bring you back. And this verse was fulfilled when the exiles returned to Israel. But that was just a small preview, a taster of what God was going to do. When he sends Jesus his unique and only son into the world, God does a new and wonderful thing. He draws together not just Jews who've been scattered, but people from all nations, Jews and non-Jews. Jesus says when he is lifted up, and we understand that to mean that when he is lifted up uh, on the cross, when he's crucified, that banner there, that's what that shows there. When he's lifted up for the resurrection, that's the banner at the back on the left, up there. And when he's lifted up at ascension, that's the banner here on my left. When he is lifted up, he will draw people to him. It is the crucified and risen and ascended Jesus who unites us. Last week, I, I went to a magnificent concert put on by Moscow International Choir. Um, uh, it's a choir which draws together people. Um, Sarah, how many people are there? How many different nations are there gathered? It must ten or so people from different nations gathered together. It's amazing. Music is one of those things that draws us together. But music also divides. Music from one culture can seem very unattractive to people from another culture. And we like some types of music and we dislike other types of music. Music divides. Vicars and pastors know that. Oh no, we're not going to sing that again. Or, oh, we like the sort of proper stuff. Or, Oh, oh, they like the happy clappy stuff, or whatever. Music unites, but music also divides. And religion divides. 
You, you don't even need to look to other religions. Christianity divides. Uh, our expression of Christianity is so often too linked in with our history and culture. I, I spent half a year in Northern Ireland at the height of the Troubles. Religion became the marker that people hung their identity on. I'm a Catholic, they said, or I'm a Protestant. A person was walking along the road, he felt a tap on his shoulders and something hard in his back. And the voice said, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And the person thought, thought hard, what am I going to do? How do I get out of this mess? If I say I'm a Protestant and he's a Catholic, I'll get shot. If I say I'm a Catholic and the one behind me is a Protestant, I'll get shot. So he said, I'm a Muslim. I'm a Muslim. And the voice came behind and said, but are you a Protestant Muslim or a Catholic Muslim? It's tragic, isn't it? People prayed that we would be one. But Jesus really is the key. It's not religion or music or sport or food that will ultimately draw us together. It's the crucified, risen and ascended Jesus who unites us. He died for all and he died for you. He rose to destroy death, uh, which has power over us all. And he ascended to be Lord, not just your Lord, but the Lord of all, of all time, of all places, and of all things and of all people. I have, as you probably realise, because I've been pointing to them, been spending a little bit of time reflecting on our banners. They're actually worth spending time with especially when you're getting fed up of the preacher, just turn round and look at one of the banners. The banner at the back right, on my back right, your, your back left, it is called priesthood. And I take it to talk about the priesthood of Christ and the call of the church to be a holy priesthood. In it, the crucified but risen Christ is lifted up and people gather to praise him. They, they praise him for his love, his death for us, his resurrection, for the gifts he's given us, for his presence with us. And as they praise him, they are drawn together. And as we praise him, we are drawn to him. Whatever our music or style or culture, and we find that we are standing or sitting next to each other, he is the one who gathers us together. And then secondly, he forgives us. The people of Israel have rejected God. They've turned from him. They've put their trust in other things and they have been scattered. That happens when we put other things at the center of our lives and forget God. But now God says, I will bring you back and I will forgive you. I've been struck again at how important the forgiveness of sins is in Christianity. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his followers. The first thing he does is tell them to call people to repentance and to declare the forgiveness of sins. And he gives to the apostles and through them to the church the authority to declare that sins are forgiven. 
Dan Culbertson, one of our people, isn't here, so he can't contradict me. But he said last week that one of the things that he loves about our service is that every week, and this is true also for MPC and St Andrews, someone near the beginning of the service, after you have confessed your sin, stands up and tells you, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. It's a reminder. Whatever we've done, whatever dark thoughts or doubts that we've had, whatever resentment or fears or bitterness control us, however many people we have failed or let down, however far we've walked away from God, if we're prepared to confess and believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. Not because you're sorry enough, not because you've made such a strong resolution never to do it again, we know what will happen to that, but because Jesus died for you. And Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. The first Christians took that, and of course they understood that as referring to, ba to baptism. And if you look at that banner there, or at the front here, here the person stands in that water, with their head lifted high and they receive hands open and they receive and welcome it you're dirty and sweaty and sticky you stand in the shower and allow the water to wash over you and you welcome that water when many years ago Alison and myself lived in St Petersburg in the Orthodox seminary there was a shower on our corridor. Now that was some shower. It was like having a bath of water thrown on you when you turned it on. You had to take a deep breath before going under the shower. Well, the image is like this. God washes away our sin. He makes us clean. And do you notice how in the banner, the water and the fire are connected so that as the water flows over you the fire of God enters into you so as a gathered people we are first and fundamentally a forgiven people so there's no place for superiority I can't look down on you and think I'm better than you I'm only here because I have been forgiven we're all here because we've been washed in the love and mercy and sacrifice of Jesus Thirdly, don't worry, there are only four points. He gives us a new heart. God says, I'll remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's not particularly flattering. He's telling us that we have stone hearts. He's telling us that we're dead. That we are cold and hard and incapable of real love. That we cannot respond. That we have rigor mortis extremis. But he also tells us that God will give to the people who he gathers heart transplants. He will take out our hard heart and give us a heart of flesh, a living heart that can respond to his love. Of course there are problems about having a heart of flesh. It can be hurt. It can bleed and be broken. It can begin to love. 
It can weep for others. It can see in the other the outline, the pencil sketch of the beauty and glory of God. We went a couple of weeks ago to the new Rublev exhibition at the Tretyakov Gallery, and they show there some of his, not just paintings, but some of his sketches, outlines, which then in time become glorious paintings. Well, we can see those outlines, those sketches of God in you, in you, in you, in each person. And we pray and we sacrifice ourselves so that the outline grows and becomes the reality. In other words, when God gives to us a heart of flesh, he gives to us life, eternal life. And along with this heart, God says he'll put his spirit in us. Now that, that's that banner. Although this week when I asked somebody, what did they think that banner was? I bet you can probably guess what they said. They had no idea, so they said hell. <laughs> At that point, I suddenly thought, we need to explain these banners. <laughs> because, of course, the Holy Spirit came on the first disciple in flames of tongues of fire. And here, the person is open, welcoming, the receiving, the fire, the Holy Spirit of God, and they become fire. God says, I'll put my spirit within you. Make you follow my statutes. Be careful to observe my ordinances. God will come and live in us. The fire of his spirit will overwhelm us and it will make us become like fire. And he will, as we welcome his spirit, he will change us. He'll change our hearts and minds and wills so that we begin to do what he wants, to live his way. We'll begin to delight in his will, desire to do his will. And fourthly, God gives to this people a new home and a new land. I'm looking here at the banner at the back, the banner of the resurrection, again worth looking at, but if you like here you have the stone and then here you have this path which becomes a glorious, glorious flower. For the people of Israel, God is promising to bring them back home along that path from exile and 70 years after they were taken into exile he does restore them and they return to their land but with Jesus the promise becomes so much bigger all who gather to him all who are drawn to him are promised a new home a new land a restored heaven and earth where Jesus Christ reigns for those of us who live in a country that is not our home the idea of exile and longing for a different place that is home is quite easy to get. Even more so if you've been away for many years and you return to the place that we thought of as home and you discover that it's different, it's moved on, it's no longer home for us. And so we're looking for another home. All of us who have been gathered by Jesus will at times know that we are aliens and strangers, exiles here on earth. We'll know that this is not our true home and we'll long for a new land where what is unseen now will be seen then, where life reigns over death and the infinite potentiality of this creation explodes into eternal life where people delight in God and in the will of God, where we are washed and cleansed and clean, 
where we know that God is our God and we are his people. What is it that holds us together? Not music, culture, language, or even a building. It's got nothing to do with us, with what we've done. We've no cause to be arrogant or proud or superior. It's all about what God has done and God is doing. Look at this passage again. I'll take you and gather you. I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you. I will remove and give you. I will put my spirit within you. I will make you follow my statutes. Forgive me, what have you done? Nothing. It is all, all of God. And it's because of him that we have been gathered together, forgiven, are being given a new heart and a new spirit, and that we have a shared home, a common destiny. That is why it is so good for us to meet together. God bless you.